All right. Hello, everybody. Today we have four beautiful guests, three beautiful guests and myself, four in total, and a lot of tech <laughs> issues. So you're getting a real deal of what a struggle is with all the technology. So we um, were just talking with Gemma about her story, and she gave us a little intro, but she's going to do it again because we just started the recording. So back to you, Gemma. <laughs> Thank no pressure. So, so no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> the first one was so amazing. I'm not sure if you can top it, but give it a go. We're all podcasters <laughs> here. We know double take, right? Take three. <laughs> so we're demonstrating mental health here. Way to go, Gemma. Exactly. Oh <laughs> all right. Okay. So I am Gemma Sereniti Gorokov. I'm a strong and powerful woman, victorious over 15 years of domestic violence, beaten, put down, and raped. All of, all of that ended in 2013, nine years ago, when I decided to commit suicide to try to put an end to emotional suffering. Emotional suffering is a real thing, and there is a time when you do not see a way out. That was the time I was finding myself in. I didn't see a way out enough to say, you know what, let's call it a life. Let's stop here. Jump from the 10th floor of the apartment building and end it, end it all here. Because I didn't tell anybody my devilish plan, because it's totally devilish. It's not real and it's not healing and it's not helping. It's not a solution at all. Even though I do understand where you come from when you can think that way or feel that way. I heard God's voice through my bones because I, why did I say that? There was nobody around me, but I heard that voice. And that voice told me, of course you can jump. It's going to work, but I'm going to give you the same life in worse. Is that really what you want? And I'm here like, ah, no, I really want to, to heal, to stop this emotional suffering. It's too much. So the voice ended the conversation by saying, okay, so leave by the door. So I run down the 10 stories of the apartment building and I run away. I fled domestic violence. Because of that, I opened myself up for healing. And because of healing transformation, I met my third, last and dream husband, Sasha. Mm -hmm. who is still by my side today. He's uplifting me every single day, empowering me, giving me self-confidence, self-love, self-esteem, and really allowing me to heal all the mental health struggles I went through. And because of that, I am now strong enough to share the mic with other strong and powerful women who also prevailed over some sort of abuse so that we can together break the silence and inspire those living, struggling through all kinds of abuse. It starts with self-abuse up to domestic violence. There is a plethora of things we can suffer from so that we may inspire those that there is a life beyond abuse. There is a life beyond suffering. There is healing is not only possible, it's available. And I, I am a living proof of that. That is beautiful. Thank you, Thank you Gemma, so much. And the reason why I brought Gemma on today um, as part of our Men's Mental Wellbeing Summit is because after interviewing probably close to 100 women, if not more, 
Gemma has a unique perspective as to what can help the men, the other side of the equation of all the women that she's interviewed, how we can help the men, the abusers, because they're obviously also victims. That's the reason why they have a dysfunctional pattern in their relationship. So we're going to get into that in a minute. So I'm going to get uh, Omar introduce himself first, uh, and then we're going to move on to Mike. Please go ahead, Omar. Hey, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid, and my mission in life is really to get people to understand that if we come at life from a place of love, it changes everything. It's uh, just the other day I was playing tennis and uh, I was being, you know, typical Umar, aggressive, trying to win. And my partner, who's way more uh, seasoned at tennis than me, says, you're just trying too hard. You're hitting too hard. So I said, okay. So I just dropped down into a place of love. And instantly, it seemed like the game just slowed down. I wasn't hitting the ball. I was just guiding the ball. And there was more time to hit the ball because I was fully present in this body. And I think if we can learn how to do that, uh, when someone angers me, I can go from the reaction, the amygdala hits in and I just react without thinking. But if you drop down into love, then that just doesn't happen. And my mission is to teach people not to go, Julia, I love you, which might be nice, uh, but more so human to human. If I drop down into love, when I do that, instantly my voice gets a little deeper a little slower, and I get to be fully present in what's around me. Wouldn't that be interesting? It was uh, like, you know, everyone's talking about love's the answer, but it's like, how do you freaking do it? That's my mission is to show people how to do it. There's a quote from uh, Einstein that I love. It says, uh, you know, I don't care for simplicity, but simplicity on the other side of complexity is a beautiful thing. And I think that's what we need to do is to teach people how to take charge of their mindset, how to connect with their heart. And that's where you discover the true you. And when you find the true you, then I can connect more completely with Julia, Mike, Gemma, and even people I'm not seeing right now because I'm fully present and open to that connection. Can I hear an amen? Wow, that's super profound. I'm, I'm still trying to absorb it. Amen. Yeah, Definitely. we're gonna, yes, amen. <laughs> I'm gonna get him more into this as, as it relates to maintaining relationships, establishing maintaining relationships mm. and how that helps when we encounter challenges in life because mental well-being becomes so much more important and essential when we're hit with difficult circumstances, with difficult people, with difficult relationships. When everything's rosy, nobody's thinking about mental health well-being. We're all fine. We're all happy, right? There's no depression. Yep. There's no anxiety. It's all about dealing with difficult situations. So, Mike, please introduce yourself. Give us your angle on this. And please unmute yourself, Mike, so that we have a chance to. As a business you. strategist and nine-time author, and <clears throat> now men's mental wellness advocate, uh, I I spent. 20 years of my life uh, investing and managing and guiding high net worth families uh, for their legacy and philanthropic goals. I sold that business and moved into coaching and guided families and, you know, um, worked with people who own their businesses in, 
you know, the ebbs and flows of business cycles and life. And for myself, it was a passionate, purposeful existence, helping connect people's philanthropic interests with their, with what they did every day. And there I found myself after 18 months of a pandemic under some incredible duress where a simple contract that seemed like the biggest thing of my life, which it certainly wasn't, um, turned into the biggest thing of my life. And uh, had having not had any experience personally with mental illness, um, descended into a 10-day darkness depression a year ago that you know, had me contemplating suicide every day. And that moment of darkness was um, one of the most immense. Um, it was at, at 51, you just, you just felt the most hopeless and worthless I've ever felt in my life. And I had a, a commit to never being back in that spot again. And I desperately reached out for help and then began a trajectory of healing and really had to look at the elephant in the room that the one thing that, you know, men bury, um, you know, through their lives is their trauma, their childhood trauma. And for me, it was sexual abuse at 11 years old and, you know, connecting, realizing that, Hey, that's the thing that's probably connected to everything that's gotten me into this repeated pattern of behavior in terms of my work life and relationships and, you know, how come I keep finding myself up in, in this spot again, which was, is a real common thing with leaders or anybody um, who's reflecting back, wondering if they have a subconscious pattern that's wired in from something traumatic in their childhood. And for me, it was very clear. And that journey of healing was an amazing thing. I mean, first of all, let's be clear. I, three months, um, not a day went by where I didn't want to cry or didn't cry. Um, but through the midst of an intense two weeks of immersive EMDR therapy, um, the sun came out, <laughs> my energy changed, everything was better. And uh, it was, it was, it was really profound. And it's almost like trying to explain how that firstborn child is to somebody who's never had a child before. You just can't, right? It's just that profound how the, how everything shifted and everything became clear. And so then began my journey of something I call unlimited worth and, you know, the new book and a podcast, like everything that's related to it um, is about what is it like on the other side of healing when you've, when you've actually uncovered and recovered from trauma. And uh, for me, a, key, a couple of key things really stand out. Um, men in leadership positions versus the general mass of people. Um, the general mass of people tend when things go sideways, mental wellness wise, um, they lose their jobs. They lose their jobs. They lose their house. They lose relationships. And the community steps in and families step in because there's really no choice. When people in leadership are failing or struggling are, um, you know, dealing with their traumas, um, they hide it really well. We create buffers. We create, we have financial opportunities. We have people we have the ability to hide our secrets for as long as we choose until, of course, that secret decides that maybe today's the day I kill you. <laughs> and that was and that's what I really sensed. And so my fascination in my book and my podcast and my new movement, if you will, is really about making sure that we understand that if you have childhood trauma that you haven't resolved, 
it's connected to whatever you do today, relationships, either business or professional or personal. It's lying in wait. It's taking, it's got control. You think you have free will, but there's something going on that you're going to acknowledge. And usually you see it in, why does this keep happening to me? Why do these things keep going on? Like this repetition. And, and as we age, unfortunately, we see that more clearly. And then secondly is men are killing themselves because of these things. Um, our suicide rates off the charts, four out of five men kill each other relative to women 40 to 60 years old. Um, we are causing disproportionate harm to the world, physical, emotional, and institutional. And if you think of a stat being two out of five men are abused um, as children before the age of 18, if you consider that that is a reality, and then they bury that secret for two or three dozen years, um, no wonder we're having challenges um, with our culture that is a patriarchal support of you know, violence and, and, and aggression and competition that's quite actually unhealthy. And so men have to just have plain spoken conversations <clears throat> about these things. And that's where, you know, that's where I come in. I mean, I'm a plain spoken person who is comfortable having this conversation that I buried for 40 years. And when we do that and we acknowledge that um, everything is connected to it until such time that you become aware and get treatment that then we can only then move forward. Right. And we can start to work on, and I work with leaders in the boardroom, the locker room and the green room. And that means the people who set the cultural tone who can change patriarch so that the boys of the next generation, you know, can be better than we are today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, everybody. <clears throat> I think what I see as a common thread with all of us is we're all mission driven. We've all gone through stuff and that stuff, once we heal through it, we feel motivated to help others heal through their stuff. And last live panel of experts, we touched on the topic of how many people aren't touched by crap, by stuff, by trauma, by something that happened to them. Probably very few. So every single one of us. Has people that have not been touched by that feel left out and they get traumatized. So yeah, we find our own traumas. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so I guess uh, what I wanted to highlight is that it's, it's amazing how our personal traumas, then victories, then I think we all develop compassion to what we see out there, motivates us to um, allow people to share their stories because all three, all four of us have a podcast to allow people to share their stories and to heal through sharing and to learn, to share their tips and strategies with others and to allow others to learn from them. So I think we are, all of us and everybody in the same position are empowering people in this world to take charge of their own mental well-being and contribute to the well-being of others. So let me just jump back to Umar because you, you pointed out to something that is our own responsibility. We're accountable for our state of being and Hence, after we have it under control, we can sort of disseminate that positive energy, that calm vibe to others. So I'm going to give you the stage to talk about that. Then I want to go back to Mike and talk about how uh, the traumas from our childhood 
then create a pattern of abuse. And then I want to go to Gemma and get her take on all of the women that she's interviewed and her own experience dealing with the traumatized men, right? As a woman in a relationship, dealing with the traumatized men that then bring that aggression that Mike was talking about into that relationship and how like connect all the dots together. And then we're going to talk about some solutions to, to the situation and maybe some, some strategies and bring more awareness. So go ahead guys. So what was my thing again? <laughs> so how we, it starts with us, how we take okay. accountability cool. for our own state of being. And then, you know, you bring that love and that, that peace to others. So here's kind of my thoughts on the subject, because we're talking about, you know, men and women in relationships. So the first thing we need to understand is that as human beings, we're meaning-making machines. When something happens with a lot of emotion, we make meaning out of it. And the meanings we make are dictated by our, uh, our beliefs that a lot of them were established when we were kids. So you and I could be at the same situation. We see something that's uh, emotionally relevant, positive or negative, and you would make a different meaning out of it than me because you have a different experience. So A, we need to realize that. We're meaning-making machines. How can we change those meanings? Number two, do not listen to what your mind says. It will lie to you. But one of the things that you should pay attention to is your body. And when you uh, zoom, tell me this is being live streamed. Oh, thank you. Uh, so listen to your body. When you're in a situation and your mind saying, oh, my God, Julia looks so amazing. And, and then my body says, be afraid, be very afraid. Listen to the fear because your body will tell you the truth. And uh, oftentimes we disregard our body. But I think it's such a finely tuned instrument. And we rely on this way too much. And so what that allows you to do is sometimes I'm with someone, especially in a therapeutic session. And as I'm there, I notice that I'm feeling anxiety right in my solar plexus. And I go to myself, do I have anything to feel anxious about? And sometimes the answer is no. And then I know with certainty the person that I'm with is feeling anxiety there. And then I'll just actually touch myself on my solar plexus and say, you know, sometimes that makes me feel uneasy. And all of a sudden they'll open up because they realize the unconscious mind goes, oh my God, Umar gets me and something's going on. So I think, A, we need to be more present when we're in those situations. And this is just some advice on, you know, when you get into a relationship with someone, and this was, you know, uh, took a while to get there. Number one is you need to know absolutely how does your partner, whether it's Mike. So we'll ask Mike in a minute. So Mike, I'm going to ask you now, how do you feel loved? With your significant other, what does that person do that makes you feel loved? They make you feel that you're okay. That you're not okay. they. How about for you? Not uh, well, they. All right, for you so personally, no, your so, person, what do they do for you? Then, that makes then you feel loved? if you were to pose the question, how do I feel being loved and receiving love? Then the key is trust. Okay. Trusting that you'll be okay. That okay, you're trust worthy. for you. Trust for you. Uh, Gemma, how about for you? How do you feel loved with your significant other, Mr. Wright. Uh, what does he do that makes you feel cherished and loved? He looks at me in my soul and the way he touches me makes me feel like the queen of the world. Brilliant. And you are the queen of the world. And you, Julia, how do you feel loved? 
Well, we're talking about the love languages here, I feel like. <laughs> Words of more so, more so, uh, so love languages all valid, but sometimes it's, you know, the way that person looks at me or the tone of voice they use or just reaching out and just placing their hand on me. Like, what's the thing for, for you? For me, uh, it's more hearing things. It's more yeah. like... Um, the tone of similar, voice. Similar to, to Mike's, I guess, yeah. them saying, you can do it. You can do it. And whenever I did something, yeah, you did it. You know, just like being on my side. So for me, it's very much when my wife and I were driving in the car, if she would just reach over and touch me, oh, melt my heart. If she told me she loved me, love to hear that. Uh, look at me in that loving way. But number one, what we need to do is when we're in a relationship, it's not our job to love that person. It's our job to make them feel loved. And that's a different lens. So that would be one thing for each other. Figure out what that is. Number two, absolutely 100% have a safe word. When things get heated up, you know, uh, say avocado. And that gets everybody to take a breath and say, okay. And the third thing is this, is that every Sunday, okay, um, I don't order people. I'm ordering every single person in a relationship right now. Every Sunday morning after breakfast, what you need to do is this, is tell your significant other this week when you did this, it made me feel loved. Thank you for that. And when you did this thing, it, it kind of irritated me. And now we're like four days past that event. And the other person goes, huh, what did I do? And why did you feel irritated? And we deconstruct it. And for the other person, they get to tell me, how they feel loved this week and what was the one thing that I did that irritated them. And you know what happens after about five weeks of this, you really can't think of something that person did to irritate you that week. But what happens is like, and I can see gamma just, you know, putting down the toilet seat, you know, how dare you? And those small little things add up when we don't discuss them. And we need a relationship where it's just a matter of fact that we, it's not like we'll have that talk because men don't like to talk. But if we do it in a loving way on Sundays, it's the good things and the things we need to talk about. We just handle small little things and it just sets your path as a relationship, as a couple down the right path. And I think we don't need to make this complicated. We don't need to have this Cinderella. I'll meet Miss Wright. And she'll be amazing. She'll be like a, a whore in the bedroom and Julia Charles in the kitchen and we'll know exactly what I want. And that does not exist. But going on that journey together of caring and connection can take a lot of these issues away. And just to kind of address, uh, kind of go back to Mike's point, which I think is absolutely valid. Here's the paradox is, let's say Julia was my mom and I've got a twin brother and Julia comes in and says, you know, all right, people clean this place up and go to bed. And I go, oh my God, Julia loves me and I feel valued. And that that is like amazing. I go to bed really happy and my twin goes, she doesn't trust me. And oh my God, I can't believe she's doing this. So we do the best we can as adults and we are meaning making machines. And as all of us are talking about is change is absolutely possible for you. And the reason we're doing this show today, at least world according to Umar, is that people have a freaking death grip on their reality. And when they hear a show like this, all that I want for you is this is not to change your belief, is just loosen, loosen the grip on that reality and allow the possibility of change. And if you could do that, we can change ourselves. 
So let go of your reality because it's bullshit, because it does not exist. Because even on this show, at the end of this, we're all going to go have a beer. And Gummit's going to say, this show is amazing. We talked about this. And I'm going to go, what? Was I in that scene? You've got siblings. You guys have conversations. What happened when Aunt Judy came? And they're totally different events. And that cannot be. So, hey, just know that love is the pathway to build an amazing life. And later on, if you're interested, I'll show you how to get into the love state, which will be pretty amazing. But that's all I wanted to add to this conversation. It's it's great to have all these different perspectives on the same subject. And all you have to do is kind of like just be open to the other perspectives and kind of go, huh. And before I pass it over, I'm going to tell you something that turns me on. Uh, hot women and more importantly is when you hang out with somebody really smart and Gemma says, you know, I've got this idea and I go, oh, that's a really good idea, but you can make it a little bit better here. And she goes, oh my God. And that collaboration is magic. And that's what human beings are so amazing at. And imagine if you did that for your relationship. Like we've got a good relationship, less like a workshop making a fantastic relationship. I mean, after this comment, you know what I feel like doing is having a cigarette. Oh, this having a beer, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Amari. You brought up a lot of great points. I love how you mentioned that, you know, communicating and explaining to each other what you appreciate and also building in some feedback into that. Well, something irritated me four days ago. So there's you're not doing it in the heat of the moment. You're doing it calmly. You're deconstructing it if the other person's open to it, hopefully. And then I also like the sandwich approach. You start with something positive, then you insert, you know, we've got to work on this. And then you also finish with something positive at the end, right? So, so you, you leave on a good note. Um, thank you so much for that. Okay, Mike, um, your turn. Um, if, I, if I remember my own question, <laughs> you probably remember my own question better than sure Mike. The question was, how did you get so good looking? I think is what she'd asked. Though. All of you are amazing looking people. And yes, it's a great mastermind today. I'm too young to now play. I mean, too old to now play people's younger selves. So, uh, so much for that aspiration. Um, <laughs> uh, you, uh, you asked about trauma and childhood and how it embeds in our lives. And, you know, I want, I want to, you know, defer to Umar's point um, and that, you know, an interesting, you know, I, I was born of, if you will, a business mindset uh -huh. and I lived and breathed the, the leadership culture and success driving culture. And that hasn't changed. Uh, it's, it's, it's evolved. And when I say it's evolved, it's moved from priorities that I, I used to think that people were seeking, which was wealth or money, time and energy. And what I what was lost in that, and this is what I've discovered over the last couple of years, and even more so after my last year of journey, and that was that these things result in something. When we have money, stress, or wealth, stress, and too much or too little doesn't matter. It's all proportionate. That ultimately, when we feel we can make an impact, we become we have happiness because we are, are connected. When time eludes us and we're busy and we think of ways that people processes and systems and we can, can control time, if you will, in our own way that makes it proportionate to our lives, we then can find our calm. You know, no one who has control of their schedule ever looks chaotic, right? They're calm. And 
enjoy being a part of this life. And then lastly, the love part is when we wake up purposefully every day, that's where we get our energy. Our energy is derived from that purpose or having, knowing that we have that purpose and that results in being open to and receiving and giving love. And so when, when I, I just want to defer to that because your, your points were so, so important and, you know, how people move through that and where we lie our importance or lean our importance on um, ultimately puts us into those places of happiness, calm and love. And when I was dealing with, well, how does, how does this trauma, you know, how does the abuse, how do horrific things embed themselves so that, like you said, Imar, that we don't have, you know, we have to stop listening to, you know, personally, I think we have to stop listening to our instinct because our instincts are wrong, but our gut might be right. And and let me explain this. Uh, When I was abused, I was abused by the pillar of the community. This was a charismatic leader of the community, leader of the church, leader of the Boy Scouts, leader of the choir, you know, a decorated Air Force veteran, the the husband of my principal. of my Just a a message to that person. Yeah, well, they're dead. Just go on. Um, And, 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 that made this hardwiring happen. The problem, the, ch- the thing about abuse that people have may or not know is that that moment is not that. I've broken my leg, I've wrecked my knee. Like that's pretty darn horrific too, you know, if you've been in an accident. So the actual incident is not the trauma that matters. It's the response, that trauma response that embeds itself. And as a child, especially at 11, like 11 is one of the most critical points of development for boys. And what ended up happening is my hardwiring neural pathways said, protect that kid at all costs, no matter what you do, embed some things that never let this happen again, so that this kid can grow up to be a man, to pass on his genes, to nurture that, and then have it passed on and passed on, right? Like we're fundamentally organisms that need to procreate. So the protection goes in but it goes in and below the surface in the back of our minds in our subconscious. And then what happens is as we go through navigate life, we realize that life is not about life and death situations all the time. Normal society, typical environments aren't about that. I fortunately had a great home life and great women in my life. So my personal relationships were always quite frankly, very good. My business relationships and relationships with men is where it dropped. And when I went into the business world, I would avoid at all costs, not consciously, the best man in the room, the pillar of the community. I would repel them, I would avoid them, and I would often align with people I could see their flaws. And so I really enjoyed intellect. I really enjoyed entrepreneurship. It really stimulated me driving forward. That was always part of me. But then I wanted a guy who, was, who had a flaw because I could see it coming. Right. If I can't see the daggers, if they're in behind your back, I don't know. So I'm not going there, but I wanted to see them. And the challenge in business environments, of course, in life in general, is the ebbs and flows of greed and and glum, (laughs) right? And gloom, you know, that brings out the worst of people's flaws. And when you ally yourself with those people or do business with them or engage in partnerships or whatever it is, stuff happens. And so I often basically would excel, rise up, and then get the shrapnel every time it hit the fan. And I'd have to restart, transition, or really cost me a lot of money. 
And so when you think about that, I had no control. I thought, boy, I'm going to do it different this time. I'm going to partner with that person or I'm going to do this. And it wasn't until I went through therapy, through EMDR, through trauma therapy and psychotherapy combined, that I actually understood that there was this subconscious instinct. And that was just one of many that were put into place into my brain that would let me survive, but not really typical, not really congruent with normal living, right? It was, I would be really good in a dangerous situation. I would be survivor, right? And then, um, you know, the fact that all the motion then comes out of the bad decision-making when you're pushed in a corner, when you feel like you don't have options, all of a sudden, all the fear, anger, shame, guilt, all those things rise to the surface and you make hasty, bad decisions, whatever it is. And when you've gone through a healing process, there's a disconnect you disconnect as you rechange, reprogram and rewire those neural pathways, suddenly the emotions that were connected to the subconscious behavior are no longer attached to them. And when we talk about where we get happiness and love from, this is why maybe I stumbled a bit at the very beginning on that question, Umar, is because happiness exists. It's not the antithesis of something. It is just something. Emotions, when they're disconnected from your subconscious, just arise. They become part of you and they, they are transient. They, they come and go. And um, when you're connected, you have to think of strategies to deal with them. When they're disconnected, they just happen. And we're able to navigate our lives in a way that is safe trusting where we know we're worthy and we have value in the community and we can continue to grow in a procreative way if you win if you really nice. think about it so you know on the other side of healing and this is what i really want to get to guys because at 28 i really wish i knew this and we really understood the gravity of what the connection to trauma really was doing to my life and i didn't know it because i was rising right is that on the other side it's better it's it's that disconnect is unbelievably energizing and emotions come and go and they feel, you feel every bit of them and there's no conditions attached. There's no connection to some behavior. And that's, what's critical about where we get with happiness, calm and love, because when we get there and they just exist, those emotions exist, just like sadness exists. Um, you know, it becomes magical. So, that's so I'm on, I'm on a, I'm on a mission to make sure that millions of men and the families who love them absolutely understand that you can get there. You break your silence, you break your secret, you break the trauma connection and your life gets better. Nice. How it gets better. Who knows? I mean, there's, there's a duration effect to trauma, um, sustained prolonged periods of trauma are just like, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, here's an aside. I used to have personal fitness train. I came out of university with a phys ed degree and I worked in pro sports and I did do a period of time where I was training people who were like middle-aged now where we are, <laughs> who, who put on for 30 years, put on some weight and they wanted instant results. And so six months in, they would go, but it's not all coming off. And I go, well, you spent 30 years putting it on right? Like that's not an overnight success. And there is an effect with trauma that is similar in terms of duration and duration of treatment and therapy. Although the first step of disclosure and understanding there's a connection with your family and with a, a professional is a hundred percent better than the day before. Nice. And then it just uh, gets better. 
Let me add to that, Mike, if I can just deconstruct a little bit. So, you know, I've dedicated my life to, you know, human beings and what it makes to be a human being. So what happens is we have, uh, could be a sexual trauma, another kind of trauma, or we make meaning out of that event. There's something wrong with me, let's say. And we make that belief. And that belief is literally bullshit because we have all this other data from childhood where we were amazing, but we've got this belief that is so traumatic that we start collecting beliefs around it to validate so the way that Gemma's uh, nodding at me she's not agreeing with me she's patronizing me which of course is not the case but if I had a belief I'm less than then I make that meaning which is not the correct meaning and it strengthens that belief and we get all these beliefs around us so if you think of the a bunch of grapes you can envision that right what it would be like if I was holding a bunch of grapes that we've got the stem and from the stem we've got these little branches and all these grapes around us the stem is the core belief and all those other little beliefs are what we collected along the way, because the last thing we want is for that human being to discover that that core belief was bullshit in the first place. So we stay away from it. And this is what happens. We get this belief and we have it for, let's say, 30 years and we're trying to get better. And we've got this belief that's sitting all the way up here. But what we need to realize is that it's got 40 years of reinforcement. And what we do typically in therapy is say, oh, that belief's bad. You need to have this belief instead. And this belief is an ether and it just does not work. What we need to do is to figure out that 30 years of existence has power. And if we could just get another belief that validates the positive intention of the old belief, and we get that new belief, instead of living in ether, it attaches to what we've done. So we can transform beliefs like that. And instead of a wish, they become a certainty. And so I think it depends on A, the human being, and B, I want everyone to know that we can go in and we can create transformation really quickly. I was working with a client uh, and she says, I've got a friend that needs help. She's a commercial realtor. So she calls up and she goes, you know, I've reached this level in commercial real estate. I can't do better. And then I do what Mike says, you know, hey, sometimes, you know, we need to discover, you know, maybe it's the past event doing this. She goes, I know what it is. I said, oh, what's the event? She goes, well, my father started sexually abusing me from the age of eight to 12. And then he stopped when I, you know, became an adolescent. And recently I found out he did the same thing to my two daughters as well. And so the very first session that we did was we said, okay, there's a part of you that wants to build a great life, but there's a part of you from what happened back then and what you allowed your daughters to do that you're not worthy. And there's two parts warring inside you. And so the first thing we did on the first session was resolve that conflict, remove that stress. Second session, we looked at the incest and helped heal that. Third session, we helped her overcome the fear. And there's a video somewhere on the internet. Basically, she's talking about, I don't know what you did, but I felt amazing. And one of the things that happened was my kids are saying, mom, are you okay? She goes, what do you mean, am I okay? No, no, normally you yell and scream at us. You haven't yelled and screamed at us for like, three weeks now, what's going on? And, and so I want people to know that a, if there was a hundred people in the room, me included, and I said, you know, if you were sexually abused, please raise your hand when you were a kid. Most people would raise and some people would want to raise, but they would not. And I'll leave you with one last thought, which is just, I was working with a client and she said, uh, 
I was sexually abused, but I enjoyed it. And she felt incredibly guilty that that was wow. the wrong thing to do. And it was like, no, it's a, your reaction is perfectly natural. It's okay. And let's help you change the meaning out of that event. And if we can go in more surgically, go in to figure out if we rely on our mind to help us go down to that event. And by the way, there's like a lot of therapies out there and all of them work. You just need to find the right one for you. But if we rely on our mind, uh, one of the things, a superpower that we all have, especially Julia, I can sense this, is uh, we don't use language accidentally, rationalizing things, you know, rationalize, we all do it. And so when someone's trying to help us, our brain is saying, I don't want them to get to the truth. So I'm going to fence with them and I'm going to send them down different pathways. And I always use the body as the gateway to get down to the core issues. And so if we can get down there, we can create healing. And like I said, there's many healers out there. Go find. And all you need to do is to just have this thought. And I'm going to shut up and go to Gamma in a second. This is one last concept is that there are useful lies. I think there's a Mark Twain quote. There's lies, there's damn lies, then there's statistics. And I added a fourth one, useful lies. And useful lies are... You know, if you thought just for a moment that I could get over this trauma and get my life back, even if you thought that was total bullshit, it's a useful lie to have. And then when you go to a therapist, that just opens up that little crack that lets you find peace. And uh, Gumma, take it away. Thank you, Omar. Lots of great points. Thank you so much. Yes, thank let's, you, uh, let's give Gemma the stage. Uh, we're running almost over time today. So thank you everybody for staying a few minutes longer. So we're going to give Gemma the stage and we're going to close off. And uh, just before I hand it off, please do support our summit. It's on already. All the information is on all of our channels. So um, do join. There are lots of pre-recorded talks and we're going live again tomorrow from 11 to 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we're going to be on the same Zoom, and uh, maybe we'll do also the uh, Instagram Live as well. <laughs> Gemma, take it away. Awesome. Oh, wow. So first of all, Umar and Mike, when you did talk about the relationship, when it's hard and how to mend it and how to go about it, there is one element that my beloved husband taught me. It's okay to agree to disagree. Will that point still matter in three or five days from now? If yes, yes, we shall solve it and choose one common uh, solution. But if not, does it really matter? You like purple, I like blue. So what? Everything is all right, actually. And I still love you, you still love me. Everybody is happy. We don't need to agree. So that removes the have to be right problem because that is a problem. <laughs> so that is one thing that I really wanted to bring on because it's so useful with all mental health. Now, regarding mental health itself, it is a real, if we say flail, I don't know if someone knows that in, in English. Uh, it's something that is really bad and really taking a toll on the people. 
but it's a true fact. And someone who is suffering from mental health issues has a real problem. Their reality is different from the reality of others. They may realize it or not. They may know they hurt or not. It's different. So how to connect with someone who has real mental health issues? First of all, you are not obligated. It's not mandatory. That is okay. Leave the pressure off your shoulder. You do not have to. I thought I had to put up with that. I didn't have to. It was a choice, but I did not recognize it was a choice. I thought I had to. And I put up with that for 15 years. Done. Done. However, I learned something. When you connect with your feelings, which sometimes can be rightly impossible with certain disorders, but when you connect with your feelings and you allow the tears to flow, tears become a strength, an asset, a power, a healing, a release. Tears become the solution to let go of all that hurt so much, all the bad meaning we gave, we gave to people or events as Omar was, was um, underlying. When we connect with our feelings and that regards, that concerns men, women, and everything in between and around, because we know that it's many, many more than two gender out there. Connecting with our own feelings, connecting with other people's feeling, connecting with the energy we are all made of, connecting with God or whoever God we want to consider. That is the power that lies in our hands with or without mental health issues, more precisely with. Now, to answer, Julia, your question, you were asking me, okay, you have interviewed, actually, I have interviewed 270 people so far since May. <laughs> it's, there is something there. There is something there. The common thread is the suffering that the belief that we are not good enough. That is the first base belief that is often just passed on to us as kids. You did not clean your room good enough. You are not good enough. And the meaning is, I am not good enough. I will never get it right anyway. So why even bother? And because of that kind of meaning, we hinder our ability to thrive and to blossom and to be the best we can be. And only when we connect back with our true power, our true essence, we release this not good enough, which is bullshit anyway. It is wrong anyway. It is not true. It's an idea. An idea that is not serving you anyway. So when you get that off of you and you come back with, okay, not only I am good enough, but I actually love and accept myself the way 
I am. And I did the best I could with what I had at that time. It's something that is giving you all your power back. And when you are, I have experienced narcissistic abuse against me, and I realized pretty recently that the during five or seven years of my healing journey, I was acting out narcissistically. When I became aware of that, it was the, oh God, I couldn't do that. Oh God, I couldn't do that. So sorry, beyond sorry, but becoming aware, what is what? What behavior hurts? What did I think? What did I feel? How did I not care? And connecting back to all those emotions and remembering and deconstructing what happened actually. It's like, oh, okay. I was hurting so much. I put so much uh, protection and shield on my own suffering, which was unbearable that I didn't want to connect with other people suffering. So I, I, I cut even my empathetic ability just to make sure I don't suffer more. And the day I understood that was a problem and I released that shield and I connected, I can tell you I cried for days and days and days and days because I felt the hurt. But then I had a big hope. If I allow the hurt, I will allow the joy. I will allow the love. I will allow the connection. I will allow the union, the real union. And when that happened, the liberation from that moment on is complete. And the true love where I can also love in return has started. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gemma. You really deconstructed the narcissism subject from the point of where it starts, really. It, it's, it's numbing yourself because of the trauma you experienced, and it's numbing the good and the bad. And it's really being disconnected from reality, not having empathy of others and trying to patch your wounds by maybe being offensive to others or trying to put them down to feel better. It's amazing. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I'd love to explore the subjects. So maybe we'll do a follow-up on this. Thank you, everybody. I will put the information of all of our experts today below each of the videos. They're gonna come out on all of our channels. Um, the live on Instagram, please feel free uh, to put the comments below with your own information, guys. Thank you, everybody, for participating and supporting. I wish we could continue and go on. Uh, the longer we talk, the more interesting it becomes. So maybe I'll, I'll start allowing a longer time slot for these lives. Otherwise, we're going to connect again next week at the same time. And uh, we'll see some of these guys tomorrow during the live segment. Some of their talks are going to be uploaded today. And, and I think Mike's is already uploaded on the summit. So please do check it out. Thank you again, everybody. And we will see you next Thank time. Thank you, Gemma, Julia, Mike. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. See you guys. Thanks.